We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Well, I want to do something special for you. This came about at one of our elders' meetings. They're just, well, the last one. And uh, we had Drew Anderson that does our GAP program for guys and Christy Faulkner now doing our GAP program for 18-year-old girls. And just about, you know, a lot of the kids that we get to gay, other than this church, that are perfect children, but we get kids a lot of times that are just trying to keep it together. And uh, one of the uh, elders asked, Drew and Christy, they said, uh, what can we do to help put you out of a job to where we can do what you're having to do? And uh, I thought to myself, it's really been about probably 15 years since I've done anything just specifically on the home. But every 15 years, you have a new group of parents and a new group of kids. Your five-year-olds are now in college 15 years later. And so I want to do something about the home. Let me ask you, do you think the home is under attack? Oh, gracious. And it always has been. Uh, Satan's major preoccupation is lies against the Word of God. And the place it most shows up in is the home. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen keep awake in vain. Solomon just said that if God doesn't have our homes, then God doesn't have our nation. And so to get rid of God, you get rid of the home, you get rid of the nation. Being the devil is not that difficult a job description. If you just remove the knowledge of God, everything becomes disintegrated specifically in the home. And so we're going to take a look at the home. Now, let me give you some ground rules before we start right here. I don't want you covered up with guilt. Uh, or any, just raise your hand if you've noticed that you're not yet perfect. Would you? Okay, that's good. Because the place your non-perfection is going to show up the quickest is the home. That's where it's all going to drift down to is the home. None of you came from perfect homes. None of you provide perfect homes. God is the one only perfect father. And so as I go through this, I want you to realize something that homes are like hand grenades and horseshoes. All right. Close wins. You want to get as close as you can, as long and as often as you can and apologize when you're not. That's what makes for a good parent. You just come close to it. The Bible says the glory of sons is their fathers. Kids want to brag about us. You want to brag about your home, but uh, you just try to get close to it. So don't get covered up with guilt. Uh, elbow, if you'd like to, you're free to elbow, all right? I'd like you not just to turn and stare at your mate and shout, unclean, unclean, okay? <laughs> but we'll work through this together. We'll all be okay, all right? What makes for a biblical home? This is a message I put together in about an hour. I'd been studying on it for 45 years. And so raising my family, being raised by a family, seeing my grandkids now raised, working with everybody else's kids and everybody else, other kids' parents. You just, if you're going to be in the ministry, you're going to work with homes. And so I'm going to give you here about seven simple foundational ideas of the home. It's kind of a, a primer on the home. Number one, to have a proper home, you have to have, a beginning, a perspective. You have to have wisdom. 
And that is that God is the author of the home. He is a father. I'm going to call you a father. Uh, I have a son, my only begotten son. I'm going to give you all sons and children. Um, God is Trinity. He is diversity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet they are unified in perfect love. And everything that you see anywhere in the universe reflects the nature of God. Everything is both diversity, part of diversity, and is a unity. This rostrum is a singular rostrum, but it is made up of hinges and metal deals and angles and whatever. It has a diverse group of attributes, but it comes together in a unity. This rostrum, however, is not just a unity, it is also a diversity because it is part of what goes on in this building. We have lights, we have pews, we have rostrum. It's diverse among unity. The molecules in your body have diversity and it has unity. Those molecules are diverse, part of a greater unified organism that's part of a human body, body, soul, spirit. Are you with me? Everything reflects the Trinity. Your body, the home, a marriage, diversity, unity. A family, diversity, unity. Nature, diverse, unified. The Milky Way, diverse, unified. A molecule, diverse, unified. See, everything reflects the Trinity. And it's not only diverse in unity, but it exists with love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So must the family. So must the body of Christ. And it has order. It's called the doctrine of procession. The Father sends the Son to perform the Father's will by the power of the Holy Spirit, both in creation and recreation. And so a home is different people united in love that cooperate, and there is order of God through his son over the father and husband, underneath respecting him lovingly as a wife, and underneath them, the children. And so to have a home, you have to begin like Adam did, seeing God. Eve is not created to see Adam, she is created to see God. And when they both understand God, now they can have each other. They're not created at the same time. So there would be confusion. Adam, you see me? Yes, sir. Eve, you see me? Yes, sir. Now let's come together. And it's by my blessing you will have children. It is by my blessing that you will have provision, food and water. It is by my blessing that you will have a purpose to cultivate, to bring forth fruit and multiply. And don't eat that tree. Eat this tree. There are rules. There's order. If you do, you break fellowship with me, and in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. The Living Bible simply says, my way or the highway. <laughs> you break faith with me, and you disintegrate. You come apart. And so... Only we in the church have this perspective. We're the only people on the face of the earth who believe that you can't have a husband, wife, mother, father, kids without God. When Paul addresses Ephesians, Colossians, the home, it's in the last half of the epistle. 
You've got to get right with God. And so, number one, there has to be a perspective. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Did y'all learn this in college? You did not. We're the only guys that can teach this. Number two, there has to be order. A chain of command. God, Adam, Eve, Abel, Cain, and Abel. There's an order and a progression. My son, when he was in the military, said the first thing they teach you is who to salute. You have to have order. And when you're a private, that's basically everyone that you salute. In the Navy, you're told if it moves, salute it. If it stands still, paint it. Okay. <laughs> and so you have God through Christ over the man, over the woman who respects, who loves, and over the children who respect, who love. And that is why at the temptation, this is really interesting, at the temptation, you usurp the order of God in charge and Satan takes control. Uh, Adam is over Eve and the fall, it's Eve over Adam. It's the animals underneath Adam, except at the fall, it's the serpent over Adam. It is man and woman over nature, gaining dominion, and now they end up in the dust of death. Man has belonged to God, and now man belongs to Satan. It was amazing how Satan did it. He destroyed every single nature of hierarchy, and you went from cosmos, that means order, to chaos. And so, there has to be an order in the home. Whenever Adam and Eve fall, who does God confront? Is it Eve? It is not. Adam, what have you done? And he said, she <laughs> told me to eat. What can I say? It was five o'clock. The father must follow God. He must, as a result, love his wife, protect his wife, provide for his wife. He must lead his family by his life. That is his duty is he follows God and he provides. That's why a lot of times women will have a fascination with a, what's called a rogue male. Y'all know what I'm talking about? James Dean, Paul Newman, Clint Eastwood, the antihero. That women will have a fascination with the bad boy until they marry them. And then they want Billy Graham. All right. I don't like you lazy. In the Hebrew, it's called sofa spud. All right. You know what a sofa spud is? <laughs> Get off the couch. Okay. And that's why we have a term called a rogue male in counseling. A man that wants his wife and everybody else to submit to him, but he doesn't want to submit to God. That's called a rogue male. Girls, they can't get married. You never marry a rogue because you're going to have moral expectations from being from the image of God. And that rogue will either become irresponsible or he'll become abusive. And both of those will turn your light out. 
If you're a rogue, you stay single. You can have emus and ostriches, Grand Pyrenees, if you would like one, but you can't have a human in your home because you don't have the ability to love. And then there are women. Her job is she must respect that husband. This works best when they're both doing this together. Whenever one is acting and the other isn't, it's a sense of crucifixion. It's a sense of the irrational. When they both do this together, unity and diversity, now you have a woman that is respectful and that will manage a home. If a woman works, she can work no problem, but that she has to be a, what the Bible calls her, an oiko despotes, oikos, the house, despot. She has to rule that house and manage that house. A man has to make money. If he doesn't get the choice, I don't want to work. He works. He makes money. He dies young. She takes the money, marries a younger man, goes to Cabo. It's the American way. Okay. That's why if I go speak at an old folks home, I've got like 15 sharp little old ladies and one guy that ain't sure where he is right there. <laughs> we just die. Okay. But a woman has to be the oiko despotes. She has to manage that home. And fellas have the freedom to spend and manage that home like she wants to. Can I get an amen? Okay. Uh, sometimes we have women that are called man-eaters. Meaning they will allure that man through any way that they can. And then they got him. But they don't know how to be submissive, respectful to the God-given authority. When a woman bows up on you and is disrespectful, what are you going to do? You're going to arm wrestle her? You're going to farkle? Oh. And flip a coin? You're beaten. You're whooped. She has now dominated the home and set that man up for an affair. He will have an affair to the glory of God to teach you a lesson. Sound horrible? I've seen it dozens of times. And so you can't have a, uh, a man-eater. When you, young guys, if you meet a girl that can't submit to her parents or be respectful to the law or be respectful to teachers, what makes you think she's going to look at you and say to love, honor, and cherish? She's going to dominate that home and she's going to force you to be good or be gone, to submit to her. And so... Rogue males and man-eaters shouldn't get married. Marriage is a very exclusive club for those who fear God. Adam and Eve, you're going to meet God, chapter 1, Genesis. Now you'll meet each other, chapter 2. You dig? And this is only going to come from the home. Ladies, this is why when a man's wife dies... That man will get married in about an hour because he's sitting in his own filth. Okay. He's hungry. He's out of toilet paper. He calls 911. He, he's, he's, he doesn't know what to do. And he'll marry the first IHOP waitress. <laughs> Darling. Oh, yes. And she's 16. Okay. 
When a man dies, a woman's like a cat. I mean, life is, she can live forever, all right? Life is just great. She's going to learn. Are you with me? Okay, so you have to have order in that home. You ever get your vertebrae out of place? Instead of it going down nice, little S-curve down there, you get those things moved out of place and they're not in alignment and they start pinching things and you start seeing the old walking around like this. I remember the first time I went to a, I had a, you ever heard of a sciatic? Okay. And I went to a chiropractor and you ever eat Rice Krispies? That's what it sounded like. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, I spoke in tongues. It was fantastic. He got everything in alignment. Steve, does a home have to be like that? God. Steve, Rose, kid. Now everything can move. Okay. Number three, the home has to be a place of safety, a place of peace, and a place of love. It has to be a habitat like Eden. What does anybody remember? I've told you before what the word Eden means in Hebrew. Delight. Delight. It's where good things can now easily happen. It's where bad things are minimized. It's a domicile, domine. It's the rule of right. And so you have to create a home where the parents love each other, where that kid knows I can come home and there is peace. I can come home and there is food. I can come home and it's clean. I, have, I can come home and there's order. It's like Israel is called the holy land where God rules. That's what has to happen. Better is a plate of vegetables and a house of peace than a fattened ox and a house of strife. You don't have to raise your hand here, but how many of you came from homes that had constant strife and you couldn't rest? You wanted to be like Ginny on Forrest Gump. God, make me a bird and let me fly away. One of the ladies of the church told me one time her major job with her parents was that of the referee, that I would step in between, go to your room, Go to your room. She said the problem would begin on Tuesday nights with George Goebel. Y'all remember George Goebel? Her mother loved George Goebel. Her daddy couldn't stand him. She said, I was so glad when they dropped George Goebel because I was having as a kid to maintain order. Better is a plate of vegetables and a house of peace. Would you rather live in the house of Bob Cratchit or Ebenezer Scrooge? Give me Bob Cratchit. So you couples, let me tell you something about couples. Christian couples a lot of times go way over the edge. They want to protect that kid from everything. They won't bring music with a beat or anything into the home, not allow the tapping of a foot. All right. But if you don't love each other, anything that you say religiously is held to be hypocrisy. The more religious you are, 
if you don't love each other, the more your kid is driven away from the hypocrisy of the faith. If you will love each other, be affectionate and tender and kind, uh, you can almost break every other principle of child rearing and get away with it. If you are not loving and kind, it doesn't matter what you do. It's lost its integrity. And so you and your husband have to get along. You and your wife have to be tender with each other. And that means there's times you got to apologize to your kids. Y'all ever had to do that? I've done that. Went to Ben and John. Hey, sorry. Uh, I was out of line. Would y'all forgive me? John, my good kid. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, no problem. Ben would go, I'm doing drugs. <laughs> oh, yeah. He now protects the president. <laughs> but you do, and Teresa's had to do the same thing. Me and your daddy were out of line. Would you forgive us yet? We had to let him know that we got to live by a standard too. What's this verse mean? He that troubles his own house inherits the wind. Your children are your heritage. You trouble your house, and I don't care what you leave for your kids, it's gone. The greatest thing you bestow upon your kids is the blessedness of a memory. How many of you, I can still with my sons and my grandsons tell them stories of Teresa's daddy and of my father and mother. And that's the inheritance they left us is their memory. And so parents get along. What's this verse mean? A wise woman builds her house. A foolish one tears it down with her own hands. Brick by brick, she destroys that home, undermines those, that husband and alienates those children. It can happen. I've seen it happen. Number four, there has to be boundaries, structure, tradition, rules, discipline. The nature of a child is such that you can't entrust them with complete freedom. They'll burn down Western civilization. You have to have boundaries. The nature of the world is such that you can't let too much frequentiz is that a word, frequentization? You gotta be careful where they go. In time, you've gotta get them the freedom to operate independently. But as you start off, there's got to be rules. In other words, let me give you about seven usually are rules. This is when we eat. This is when you get up. This is when we eat. You don't sleep to the crack of noon. Okay. We get up and we eat. Mama cooks here. Uh, and when we eat, we pray. Daddy prays unless he delegates. And you pray an intelligent prayer of thanksgiving. I can still remember the prayer my daddy would pray. And we, this was rules. Do not touch the food. Daddy hadn't prayed. We had a place that we always, we had breakfast, lunch, you were on the go in the evening after Walter Cronkite. Does anyone have any idea? After Walter, okay. We would eat. Daddy, Mama, Jimmy, Bobby, Tommy, Billy. That's how we sat around the table. I was at Daddy's right hand. Okay. <laughs> That was the way it was.
you did not touch the food until you ate and we had a prayer. Accept our thanks, our Heavenly Father, for these and other blessings. Forgive us our sins and save us in heaven. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Amen. Okay, that was our prayer. And so we eat at this time. We pray. We have chores. You're not a sucker and a feeder here. No, you set the table. You pick up the dishes. You put them in the sink. We didn't have a dishwasher, okay? You put them in the sink. Vacuuming, that's yours. Uh, you started off working on the hedges, all right? You cut the hedges with the hedge, uh, hedge cutter thingers, all right? You cut them back. And then you graduated to mowing. My mother liked flowers. You better know how to mow. I remember one time I was told to mow, and I didn't want to. And uh, I had to, well, I wanted to go play some ball, and I had to mow. It was a spring day, and I went out, and I couldn't get the lid off the gas deal going into the lawnmower. And I kept, the more I did, the madder I got. And so I did the logical thing. I beat it with a ball-peen hammer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which meant I crimped the... Uh, to where you, no one could ever get it off. You'd had to get a welding torch to get it off. And I went and told my mother, and at that point, I can't remember anything. <laughs> it really did. I can't remember what happened after that. It, I think it's PTSD. I just kind of blinked it out. But years later, I found big dents <laughs> up in my head from a ball-peen hammer. But that's, you have chores. You don't raise your kid to be a halibut, a flounder, a catfish, and just sit on the bottom and suck it in. We're going to have chores. Uh, another thing is you don't back sass, and you sure don't back sass mama. When the command is given, if you would like to discuss it, feel free, but it don't matter. Okay, because we're going to do this. And so that was what we had. In our house, you did not cuss growing up. And they weren't necessarily Christians. You did not, you, you might cuss all day out there, but not in the house. You didn't cuss. You did not raise your voice to your mother. You, if you smoked, as my wicked brother did, Bob, you did not smoke in the house. You did not drink at all because of my uncle Robert, who became an alcoholic. So you did not drink. And if you did drink, you better not, you never Demon rum never entered our home. That was a rule we had, and it brought safety to us. And you didn't draw blood. Let me explain this. Do siblings fight? Sure, they tussle. But the rule was you could not draw blood. You could choke them out. Okay. <laughs> but you could not. You could not draw blood. And so all the fights we ever had, and we were a physical family, you did not strike. The only time we saw a strike was when my next door neighbor, Joe Nichols, Jimmy hit a ball over in his yard and he was a kind of an angry, I don't know why he'd be mad. Jimmy used to sit in a walnut tree and throw walnuts down in his uh, goldfish pond. And so I could imagine Joe would get irritated, but he kept our ball. And Jimmy came in and said, Mr. Nichols won't let me have my ball back. And daddy vaulted the fence and here came Joe Nichols, 
And we still tell this around council fires at nighttime, smoking peace pipes. And daddy came from right here. Bam! Glasses, shoes. You ever seen Charlie Brown on a line drive goes back through the box? That's the only time we ever saw a blow struck. But you didn't do it within the family. My son has four kids out in Virginia. One is the state champ shot put and discus going to Tiffin University. The other one, uh, Gabby, runs a 4-9 as a 16-year-old. She's being recruited by Princeton and Baylor. She's an athlete. Ryan is the best 12-year-old athlete I've ever seen. Barrett, one of the best baseball players. He's a mere 10. And they, their house is made out of titanium <laughs> to endure those four children. Because you've got a secret service agent and the mother's the only civil one in the home. And one time, Amanda came up the stairs and she said, and I heard this and I said, I've never heard that in a home. She said, whose blood is this? <laughs> you ever heard that in your home? Whose blood is this? TC went, no. Well, y'all, it was Ryan's blood. So you did not strike with an open hand. That's a rule. Don't hit your brother. Another one is we go to church. When you get old and you want to drop out, you can. May God have mercy on your soul. Here, we go to church. Get out of bed. We go to church. And if you violate any of the earlier ones, we have a method called the pain pleasure principle where it is so painful to do wrong, it is a joy to do right. And they would do what was called corporal discipline. They would beat your corpus. All right. They would put a stick on you. It was just good old discipline. Their idea was that I can let you go like this and you will weep your eyes out when you're 50. Or I can compress this pain into about a 12-lick uh, experience. And it'll go away quickly. Still to this day, the sound of a belt being pulled out of the loops. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That sound still terrifies me. My mother would beat me counterclockwise. Do y'all know what that means? If you've got a right-handed mother, all right, and she grabs you by the left hand, where are you going to take off? You start running, and she beats you counterclockwise. This was like last summer, you know. <laughs> so, how many of you had corporal discipline put on your corporal? Okay, how many of you are glad that you had it? Yes. How many of you needed it? I sure did. Men, when they get together, will tend to boast about the beatings they got. Because they're proud. My daddy beat me with a belt. My daddy beat me with a tire tool. <laughs> My daddy beat me with an acetylene torch. <laughs> so we're just proud. Is that abuse? Yeah, you don't want to have abuse, obviously. But it's enough, you know, to have a parent care enough about you that I'm not going to let this go on. We're going to stop this right here. And so my older son at his home in Virginia with his four kids, he has a time every day. They have one of those Virginia basements, and then, st and so it's like three, the third story up. 
And up in the top story, all the family comes together at a certain time. It's like 7, 8, 30. No smartphones. No television. No headphones. Music that I will let you select that we all hear. And you have to read. You have to write. They're all artistic. Or you have to draw. You have to create. But you cannot sit around on a smartphone because he watched too many people get stupid from a smartphone. And so that's a rule that he has. We never had to make that, did we, Steve? We never had to do that. But how many of you only can remember two channels on your TV? Channel 10, channel six, and mama had to hold it in place? <laughs> Wait a minute, okay. To watch a gun smoke? Okay. And so you have to step in to build family. Now, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be normal humans right here. And then, fifthly, it has to be a place of truth. We think with antithesis, right, wrong. There is a truth and there is a non-truth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it all follows from there that there is a God. He has made himself known. We are Christians. There is a broad way. There is a narrow way, and that is our way. To Israel, God said, I have given my law and my commandments, Psalm 147. To no other nation has he spoken therein. Israel alone had a word of God. We are the church, and that has been exported to us. We believe this. This is how we live. Uh, here's the way it should show itself. You have devotions. Now, let me explain to you what a devotion is. It's not all getting together and breaking out the Bibles. It means that at the end of a meal, you stop before we all take off. We don't take off yet. We're a family. This is where we huddle up. Daddy opens a Bible. The kids don't need to bring one. Make it easy. And you read a singular sentence. That's all. You read a sentence. Better is a plate of vegetables in a house of peace than a fat ox in a house of strife. What does that mean? Mama, what does that mean to you? Well, this and this and this. Have any of the kids ever been in a house of your friends that had turmoil? Oh, boy, you're telling me. And they'll talk all. And you just bring them out. Someday when you get married, the biggest thing you're going to have to do is have peace in your home. Y'all know what it means to have a family member that holds the house hostage. Y'all know what that means? A kid that is bad, but he knows you're not willing to sacrifice. He can take control of the house because if you don't let him have his way, he'll wreck the house. And you got to deal with that. That's what happens when a family loses its peace. You just want to get out of there. How long did that take? 30 seconds. And you just kind of talk about it. And that's why we always, the greatest thing we can have is our house to be Eden. Mama, why don't you pray for us? Mama prays, okay? Be gone. Took 30 seconds. You give me four or five times a week. Give me five minutes, that's all I ask, with your family at the table. They don't need nothing but iced tea and listen. I'll read something, close it, discuss it. Because I'll assure you if it's in the Bible, it is something you want to discuss. It's electric. 
and we discuss it and then end it. You don't belabor it, but you just keep tightening the rivets on your kid. You get them for just a little bit. That's all. You keep tightening. Have devotions. And then another thing is you pray. When you put your kids down at night, let me explain that. When you put your kids to bed, okay, you go sit on the edge of the bed with them. I don't care how old, I guess they may outgrow it after a point, but you sit with them, especially when they're little, and you pray with them, and you let them. What I would always do is I'd put my hands on my boy's eyes, and then I would talk to God about them. God, I pray for Benjamin here. God, you've made him so smart. You've given him such a great mind. Lord, I pray that he could use it greatly for you. Maybe someday, Lord, he could win men to Christ. Lord, I pray for John Clark. Lord, I pray you've given him such an ability in sports. And I pray that he might go to college, that I don't have to pay for it, God. Someday you could send him there. And Lord, I just pray for this and pray for this. And my kids would listen to me brag to God about them. They would listen to my heart about them. You give me your kids for 90 seconds when they go to bed. Let me do it repetitively and I will get your kid's heart. So, and don't pray ignorant prayers. I mean, pray, God, thank you for your propitiation of us by the blood of Christ where your vengeance has been put to rest whereby you might bestow your grace. The kid goes, why? Shut up and just listen. You pray, thank you for your redemption, paying the price for our sin and the currency of your blood, whereby we could have now the ability to justly come into your presence and you bathe them in theology. God, thank you for Martin Luther. So many years ago, they'd raised up and said, no, the Bible alone, Christ alone, faith alone, thank you for that good man. But everybody wanted him dead. He died with a price on his head. Did you know that? God, thank you that he stood bold. Give us the grace to stand bold. So you give me your kid, 90 seconds, that's all. And let me put him to bed at night. I'll get his heart. And you need explanations. Daddy, why don't we drive the speed limit? It don't matter. Just let it go right there. Huh? <laughs> why do you wave at the, I don't do it. See, cops always wave. Why do we do that? The reason we do it is because being subjection to the governing authorities, there is no authority except from God. Those which exist are established by God. Both my kids became cops. And so I would always praise them. Anytime I'd see a military guy, thank you for your service. Thank you. Why do you do that? Those guys laid it down. You ever heard of World War I? Let me tell you about it. You ever heard of World War II? Let me tell you about it. You ever heard of Vietnam, Korea? Let me tell you about it. Those guys laid it down for us. Your old grandpa, he laid it down. And so I'd talk about those things. One time I was up in New York and we saw this, bless his heart, wino, wetting on himself, standing on the curb up in New York. It was a sad deal. And the, I remember my boys, we were heading up to Camp of the Woods. And I just looked at him and I said, boys, that is the sophistication of alcohol. That looks sophisticated to you. You know why? Because it killed his brain. And now that's where he is. You think about that. Proverbs says, don't look at wine when it sparkles in the glass, for in the end it bites like a serpent. They remember that. 
Just using little moments like that. And the other one is, we're going to go to church. And I surrounded them with Keith Chancy, Scotty Pope, Bo Towns, Matt Darwin, and guys like that. I surrounded my boys with men that said amen to them. Anybody remember Keith Chancy? Yeah, Keith, he was the coolest guy. He was the most fit guy. He was the strongest guy. He had a cool wife. He had a cool dog. He had a cool Jeep. And they were always around cool guys that were the best. They were class. And those guys were better than any of the guys they ran into. So I surrounded my kids with allies. Number six, truth doesn't just have to be spoken, prayed, and answered. Truth needs to be modeled. Stanford University years ago said that you learn 80% more by modeling than by auditing. You will never forget what you see, ever. Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, uh, remember those who led you. I'm sorry, that's a Hebrews verse. He said, Timothy, uh, he says, I'm confident of the unhypocritical faith which abides in you, which first abode in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm certain it's in you as well. He said, Timothy, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Plural pronoun. You saw grandma and you saw mama. Question, did Timothy have a Christian daddy? He didn't. But he saw Paul, Lois, and Eunice. You saw their lives. Remember those who led you, spoke the word of God to you, considering the outcome of their faith, imitate, or outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. You saw these guys' lives. They were the best. And so you let your kid watch you for a couple of decades and onward to watch you. There's a guy in our church. If you ever run into a guy, it's about six foot six. He's got steel gray hair, and he's got a big blue ring that has a Roman numeral five on it. That's Bob Lilly. Y'all know who Bob Lilly is? Who in here doesn't know who Bob Lilly is? All right. Go to the back this morning. <laughs> He's Mr. Cowboy. Uh, I guess Bob Lilly is in every hall of fame you can be in. Texas High School Hall of Fame, College Football Hall of Fame, TCU Hall of Fame, Cowboy Ring of Honor, Canton Hall of Fame, one of the best 100 ever played the game. And he attends this church. He and his wife, Ann, and his son, Mark, attend this church. And uh, so if you ever see that, yeah, that's, say that looks like Bob Lilly. It's Bob Lilly. And he got, Ann and I got together a while back and just visited that there was a lot we had in common. And he just wanted to visit. <laughs> and so we sat down. And to me, when I was an adolescent, Bob Lilly was playing uh, pro ball. And my heroes, anybody else in here collect football cards? They were my heroes. Ernie Stautner, Chuck Bednarik, Charlie Connerly. And these were guys Bob knew, played against, Johnny Unitas. All right. These were guys that he played against. He's in the Hall of Fame. He knew these ghosts out of my past. So we got together and visited. It's just marvelous to talk with. But the obvious question I asked him was, Tom Landry. 
Tom Landry. He said, Tom got converted in 1960, the year he came to the Dallas Cowboys. I was drafted in 60. I was our first draft choice. And he said, I grew up in a Christian home in Throckmorton, Texas. But he said, this was the first time I'd seen a coach visible about his faith. And he said, at our first meeting, Bob said that Tom got up and he wrote down, God, family, football. And he looked at us and Bob said, the thought went through my head, we're going to lose. <laughs> He'd never seen this, but he said, I didn't see an inconsistency in him. In the 14 years I played for him, I never saw one. He said he began every practice with a verse. Every game before, would have a, before the game would have a chapel. He would bring in really quality guys to teach. He said there wasn't any of us that didn't get impacted by Tom Landry. But he said, the guy that shaped my life, Bob said, was my father. He said, I grew up in Throckmorton. Anybody know where Throckmorton, Texas is in West Texas? It's not the end of the world, but you can see the end of the world from Throckmorton. It's way out there. It's where you go to hunt quail and doves. He said, I had a father named John E. Lilly. He went by Buster. And he was your classic greatest generation guy. His father, Buster's father, was the first Baptist preacher in Throckmorton. And he said, my father was a mechanic on everything. And then he would go home and do farming. But he was a hard-working mechanic. And he said, uh, he's only 6'2", Bob's 6'6". He said he was 6'2". But Bob has big hands. He said, my father had bigger hands than me. And he said they were enormously strong. He said on one occasion he was working on a V8 engine and we didn't have the block and tackle in there. So he said, my daddy picked the engine up and he moved it. He said, I couldn't budget. Daddy picked the engine up and set it down. He said, uh, his hands were so strong that they could break pliers. You ever try that at home? Get a pair of pliers and break them. He'll try all day. He said his father could break them like pecan shells. As a matter of fact, Bob said when I would take a lot of the cowboys out to our home to go quail hunting, when I went out there, I would buy a bunch of pliers. And I would say, see if you can break this. And he said, yeah, they would try as they could. My daddy would take them like this which is a great aid in child rearing. <clears throat> he said, on one occasion, I had an uncle that was doing some boxing. And he said, as a young kid, that uncle got to popping on me and wouldn't quit. And daddy said to him, Buster said, hey, stop that. And he kept doing it. And he said, he reached over and he grabbed him by the wrist and he broke it. <laughs> also an effective deal on child rearing. But Bob said that he... We did not miss a meal. He did not lie. He did not not keep his word. He did not not pay his debts. He loved my mother. He treated their parents with great discretion and respect. And he said, I revered that man. And he said, everything that I am came out of the dye, the mold of that man. He said, I am all, all these halls of fame. And he is. He's in all the halls of fame. If you get in the Dallas Cowboy ring of honor, you shake his hand before you go in. He was the first one. 
And Bob said that his greatest sense of pride is that people respect him in Throckmorton, Texas because of the memory of his father. He said, anything that I became was in the shadow of my father. Isn't that good? Yeah. It's been said you're either leaving up to your dad or you're living him down. And so you be the parent that your kids, you know, when I went through the 60s, there was a lot of junk going on in the 60s. We inhaled. Okay. But I never got sucked into it. You know why? Because none of those guys talking smack could measure up to my family. My grandfather fought in World War I. My uncles fought in World War II. My daddy that took care of us. Nobody measured to my parents. And so your life becomes a immunization of your kid by that memory. And last of all, your family has to become a place of development. Just like an animal in nature prepares the home, the den, the nest for the child to grow and then to have freedom to leave. The tension you're going to have in development is the balance between protection and development. Can your child develop without freedom? He has to have freedom. He's got to be able to fail. And you have to have the ability of holding the rope and then letting the rope go. Because here in a little bit, you're going to turn it loose completely. When I was at seminary, we had a professor named Ken Gangle, and he made the statement once. You remember him? Uh, Ken, uh, Don, he was there back in the 70s and 80s when you and I were around. And he was a marvelous man. And he said about the students at Dallas Seminary, he said, some suffer because they had too much freedom. Some suffer because they didn't. He said the gang member and the kid that was raised three times a week in church struggled. They never got to flex. They never had any boundaries. He said, you've got to do them both to raise them to leave. And what you have to do is you've got to recognize who the kid is. He's not your kid. He's God's kid that he gave to you. You're a steward. You've got to look at him and not say, why aren't you like your brother? Because I'm not my brother. I want you to be this. I'm not you. Morally, theologically, there are borders we put on them. But as to what that kid is, the Bible says, raise a child in his way. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Benjamin, my son, was a good athlete, but that wasn't his bag. He was a military guy, and I saw it quickly. Y'all remember whenever that guy, that Marine, was killed in Black Hawk Down, and they drug him through the streets of Mogadishu? Ben saw that on TV, and he went, and I won't tell you what he said, and he said, uh, he headed off to the recruiting office right then. And he said, I'm going to kill somebody, basically. And so I followed him. He signed up. You want to be a ranger? You want to be a SEAL? What do you got to do to be a SEAL? You got to bounce up and down in a pool until you drown. They come in and get you. I'll be a ranger. <laughs> he went military. He's still military. He's at the top of the military. 
He was a good athlete. Matter of fact, they, they littered him. He, he played behind guys in high school. And I thanked the coach one time. I said, thank you for littering Ben. And the guy said, oh, no. I wanted him there if we ever had a fight breakout. I wanted Ben right there. So that was the kid he was. And whenever he graduated Fort Benning, whenever he graduated Secret Service, we're there cheering for him because that's his bag. John Clark could pick up a ball. He was the best high school, junior high kid I'd ever seen play baseball. He was phenomenal. I called him my retirement. Okay. And so we went with him. And so on our house, we had a Ben wall and we had a John wall. John hitting the baseball, Ben hitting the robber, or, okay, something like that. John went out now he became a, a uh, John's a detective down in Fort Worth. And so I played the hand they were dealt. What kind of guy are you? And I went with that. And you know what? They're doing... If you can get a kid to do what he loves and get paid for it, that's the best thing in the world, to let him find out who he is. And so, I had a brother that was a businessman. Mama said, go. I was a football player. Mama said, go. My third, our third brother was a choir director for kids. Mama said, go. Fourth one was a baseball player. My mama had walls of pictures for all of us. Whenever Bobby did business, she was there. When J Billy sang, we were there. When I played, when Jimmy played, they were there. They just, they let us be what we should have been and they augmented it. So figure out who your kid is, that you love him no matter who he is and you love him no matter what he does. Are you always happy with your kid? Can you always love your kid? And you let them know, you ever screw up, you come to me. Don't you take off. I'm always here because I've screwed up. So I'm always here. I remember when Ben was little, I was probably about six, seven years old. He was going to bed and he said, can I ask you something? And I said, yeah. And he started, his voice kind of choked on him. You know, where it talks about God creating everything. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder about dinosaurs. It was evolution. How do you put those together? And he was scared to ask me. I said, hey, 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 hey. You have any question, you ask me. And I let that know, you're my kid. You're it. And so anything you question, you come to me and we'll talk. Now, here's what I think. And so we had that, and they, both my kids, walked with God. They put on Kevlar, they beat people, but they walk with God. Okay. When I was in Estes Park, Colorado one time at an FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athlete Convention, I was the teacher and Grant Taff was the, called the dean. Y'all remember Grant Taff? And there was a coach down there and his daughter sat with him during all the retreat. They had things for the kids to do, but his kid sat with him because she didn't want to go among the other kids. She was gothic. Y'all remember that? He had black fingernails, black everything, just looked like Morticia Adams. Did you ever see the Adams family? She looked like Morticia. It was, I just want to say to her, darling, you could be so pretty. 
if you didn't look like a corpse, you know. But she sat with her daddy. She had about 16 things stuck in her face over here. Uh, I think she had a tattoo that said, death is good. I like death or something like that. But the father just sat there with her. And I would watch him. And he had his arm around her. And this father looked like John Wayne, looked like Randolph Scott. He was all man. And he sat there with that little girl. And she just put her head on his shoulder. And I knew that that father, if I said, what would you like to do? He would say, I'd love to bathe this child. I'd love to remove all of this stuff from her. But she's a goofy child. But she's my goofy child. And so he just loved her and sat there. And I watched him that whole conference keep his arm around that little daughter. And I just thought about the prodigal when the kid took off and then he met face to face with who he was and he took off back home. And it said the father saw him from a long way off. How come? He's looking for him. Is that him? No. That's him. And the father girded up his loins. You ever seen an old man run? It's ugly. Boy. Tucked in his tunic and took off running. You ever hugged a pig farmer? He hugged him. The son said, I've sinned against heaven and in your side. I'm no longer worthy. And the father cut him off right there. Go, kill the fatted calf, get the robe, get the sandal, get the ring. My son was lost, and now he's come to life. Didn't God do us like that? You come a-running, and I'm here. And that's the way you always want to be to your kid. I may not always be happy with you, but I'll always love you. Always. You're always safe right here. You want to be a Kool-Aid house where the kids can come home, they can bring their friends, they're proud of their home. That is a Christian home. If you didn't come from one, when you go home, read Ezekiel 18. If you're a boy and you got a sorry daddy, and looking at him you say, I shall not do likewise. Shall not God's blessing be poured out on you? Some of you may need to begin a new branch of the family tree. You're going to have to start all over. And that's okay. You ever hear of the returnees of Israel? That's what they had to do. That's what Joshua had to do. And so you start over right there and start building a legacy for your home. Father in heaven, we thank you for a Sunday to look at some things that are... Uh, joyful and painful for us. And we pray for these kids you have blessed us with that we may need to slowly and surely not just say there's a new sheriff in town, but just to start slowly and surely building what counts, displaying what counts, modeling what counts into our kids. And Lord, we're in a dark day. You can't send your kid to school anymore without getting ready to rally to their side at what is going to be taught them. The people that used to be our greatest allies have become our greatest threats. And so help us, God, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.